Martin Luther was quoted as saying, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. You know, every single one of us this morning are staking our lives on something, some confidence that we have, right? We're living our lives based on some set of principles, some ideas. You know, people say what goes around comes around or everything happens for a reason or even God helps those who help him themselves, you know, which, by the way, is not in the Bible. But it sounds like it is, right? <laughs> you may have some religion mixed in there also. Maybe I believe that if I'm sincere in my religion or my spiritual pursuits that my life will work out okay, maybe. God will somehow hopefully be pleased. And so we go on pursuing our dreams, pursuing our hopes and our plans, all the while trusting in those philosophies or slogans or ideas, building our lives on that which is a very thin, weak foundation. This morning we're continuing a message series in the book of Philippians in the New Testament. It's a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of Christians um, in Greece at the time. And the title of the series is Moving Forward because all through this book, this letter, Paul is encouraging those Christians to grow in their faith. Grow in your faith. Live it out. It's not just about saying you're religious. It's not just about going through the motions and the ceremonies. Live it out in your life and it will make all the difference. And so now we're in the second half of this first chapter, Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read the second half uh, of it. And we're confronted with an apostle Paul who wrote this letter to these people. He's very confident. He's a very confident gentleman. And we're going to see through reading his words where that conference, confidence comes from. What's the secret to that confidence? And so I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 12, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, you can follow along uh, any way that you choose. But Philippians chapter 1 and the New Testament, beginning in verse 12. And it says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So let me just give you a little background. Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome. So that's what he's talking about. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is... My eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that the full courage, now as always, Christ with full courage, now as always, 
Christ will be honored in my body, whether life or by death. For, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the, that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have it this morning. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here communicating this word to our hearts. Soften our hearts, God. Soften our hearts. Speak in a way that I could never speak. I could never be clever enough or witty enough to, to say anything of eternal value. Holy Spirit, but you have the power. You communicate the word to us this morning. And may we, may we be doers and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title of the message this morning is Growing in Confidence. This whole, this whole book is talking about growing in our faith. As we go through this letter and the apostles' encouragement to press forward, press forward and continue to grow in your faith, we come to these verses which Paul gives us a look into his own faith and his confidence in it and gives us an example of how we can be grounded in that same confidence and growing in it. Now, if you're, if you're familiar with the Apostle Paul and read uh, any of these other letters that he's written or read about him, you know that he's a pretty confident guy. Right. At one point, he was he calls himself the Hebrew of Hebrews. Right. At some point, he was a big shot in, in the Jewish world. Um, and he was such a big shot that at one point, remember, they were stoning Stephen. It says that that Paul stood by Saul and the guys who were stoning Stephen came to Paul and laid their cloaks at his feet because he was the big shot. Like, hey, we're doing this for you. We're we're doing this for. For the Jewish people. But something radically changed Paul at some point. Something in his life shook the very foundation of what he was building his life on. And the confidence that he had in the world and in his own life, his own abilities, his own talent, his own leadership, all those things, was shook. But now Paul is still brimming with confidence in this passage of scripture, it's not the typical confidence that he had before. Something has changed, and so let's look at the evidence of what this confidence is. And this is the confidence that you and I can have in Christ Jesus this morning for life. First of all, he was confident in the sovereignty of God. In verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You look at this whole passage of Scripture, and Paul is saying over and over again, yeah, I'm in prison, but you know what? That's going to be for the best. 
you know what, I'm being persecuted, but you know what, Jesus is being preached. Everything he goes through, he's got this positive spin on it that something is happening beyond his chains, beyond his circumstance, right? And he even says at one point, whether I live or whether I die, it's all good. He's got this confidence in the power and the sovereignty of God in his life. And even though he didn't know everything that God would do in his life, he had confidence. He knew that God was able. And really, this morning, listen, for you and for me, wherever you're at in your faith, or you may say, yeah, whatever, just get me through this. I'm not interested. The sovereignty of God, he is all-powerful. If you can grab a hold of that, and we're going we're gonna to push into that a little bit because that automatically makes me have a question, a few questions, if God is all-powerful, right? We'll get to that in just a second. But Psalm 103, 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. God is a big God. And Paul was trusting his life. We can look at this gentleman right here. Look at him in prison on the verge of being persecuted and murdered. And he says, you know what? I'm at peace. I'm confident that God is still in control. Acts 17, 24 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The fact that you're breathing this morning, we should be thankful. See, our understanding and our faith in God's ultimate power, his ability to do what he wants to do. Let's just start right there. He has the power to do what he wants to do. He's worthy. He's qualified. He is on his throne. The same Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, describing Jesus he said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Paul understood God is on his throne no matter what my circumstances are. And he was encouraging these Christians because they were receiving some persecution and they were headed for some more persecution. And they may have been wondering, you remember last week I told you, remember when Paul and Silas were in prison and they began praising God and singing songs and it says the doors swung open and the, the chains fell off and, the, and they, they freaked the, the guard out, the prison guard there, and they told him about Jesus. He received Jesus and his whole family and all those things. And it says that he spent some time with these people in Philippi. These are the same people now he's writing from prison are probably going, but he let you out last time. God let you out. How come, how come he's not letting you out this time? And Paul is encouraging them saying, listen, God is still in control. I still trust him, even though my circumstances are dire. It's a beautiful passage of scripture in Proverbs 16, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. Listen, God is on his throne. God is in control. And that's important for all of us this morning. If you can settle in your heart that God is on his throne, despite what you see in the world around you, 
then you can build your life on His promises. But we have to see life first and foremost through those lenses, through that lens. I had a conversation with somebody last night. We were hanging out at the uh, silent disco over here on the pier. And um, I was, got into a conversation with somebody about Jesus and about faith and all these things. And they're not a Christian, not a believer. And they were, they were a little confounded why God wants us to have a relationship with him or believe in him even. And this is the very reason, because our very breath is from him. We were created by him and for him. And the fact that we just walk through life and say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, we can't see how that's offensive to a holy, righteous, all-powerful, loving God. He is king of kings. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Listen, Christian, this morning... That's the God that you serve. That's the God who has a hold of your life. The God that can do far beyond what our minds can even imagine. He is on his throne. He can answer our prayers. He's on his throne. The one true living God. He's all powerful. He's all able. He is qualified. And really, it's important for us to, to come to grips with that first and foremost. But... Just because God is sovereign, just because he's all-powerful, that's not really in and of itself good news, right? Because he could be a tyrant. What if God is a tyrant? He's on his throne. He can do whatever he wants, and, and he's really putting it to me, right? If, if, if that's, it's not really consoling unless, and that's the second point here, unless I know God's character. And Paul was confident in God's not only his sovereignty and power, but his character, his goodness. He says there in verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Paul said, this is going to turn out for my good. I believe that the God that I serve, the God that's got a hold of my life, is working things out for my good. He believes God is a good and loving God. See, Paul had released his definition of deliverance. You know, we're thinking about he's in, he's in prison. Deliverance means you're getting out of prison, right? Well, that did happen, actually. He did get out of this prison eventually. But he ended up being martyred eventually, beheaded. So what he was talking about deliverance was something different than you and I are thinking. He understood that God was not only strong enough and powerful enough to do what he wanted, but that he loves Paul. He loves you and he wants your good and my good and his glory. He's a good God. His character is that he's righteous. What is God's character? Psalm 89, 14 says this. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Listen, this is the character of the God we serve. This is the character of God Almighty. God is righteous. He is just. He is steadfast in love. He is faithful. You know, in our culture today, we often cheer on justice. And we should. We should desire justice. But justice without righteousness is not justice at all. He says, 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Without one of those, there's a hole in the foundation of God's throne. And we know there is no hole. Otherwise, without righteousness, justice is just patronizing. I used to have a buddy, he used to tell me, I'd see him all the time, he'd say, Steve, what's up? And we'd start talking. He'd say, ah, don't shine my shoes, man. Don't shine my shoes. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, don't shine my shoes. What he's saying is, you know, don't, uh, um, how do I put it? <laughs> do what? Yeah, yeah, don't patronize me. Don't butter me up, you know. Um, tell me the truth. God does not shine our shoes, right? He is righteous. He is just and he doesn't change with the winds of change of our culture, of our society, and of the world. He is always right, and God always does the right thing. And you can put, bet your life on that. Always does the right thing. And here's the good news. He is also steadfast in love. So when we think about righteousness and justice, everybody says, yes, yeah, justice, righteousness. Oh, come on. Now you're going to start talking about sin and all now listen, they go hand in hand. We don't want a God who is not righteous. We want a God who's grumpy and gets up and sometimes in a bad mood, sometimes does the right thing, sometimes does the wrong thing. No, he is righteous and just always. And that is, that is immovable. But the thing is, he also tells us there he is steadfast in love. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death, depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is a loving God. He sees us with eyes of love and he is faithful. In all of that, righteousness, justice, love for you and for me, he is faithful. I'm glad God is not like me. Psalm 92, 15, the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Listen, when I got to a point in my life when I quit playing games with God and I just said, you know what, this is either true or it's not. If it's not true, I don't need another thing to do on Sunday. I don't need the guilt. If it is true, if you are who you say you are, Lord God, everything's got to change. My life has to be lived in such a way that I default to you. And he has been faithful because he's worthy of that. He alone is righteous. Oswald Chambers is a, was a theologian and a missionary. And, and I was reading his biography recently, and it talks about a time where he and his wife went and visited a friend um, another missionary woman and met and uh, visited her. She was dying of cancer. And they left there and they got in the car and they were driving home and his wife said to him, I wonder what God will do. I wonder what God will do in healing her. And he responded, it matters less to me what God will do than who God is. I know he's good. I know he's righteous. I know he's just, and you know what? If he takes her home to be with him, that is the right thing to do, and I'm going to trust his heart. I'm going to trust him. That's the only way to walk as a believer. That's the only way. Otherwise, we're shining our own shoes. Trust him. You can trust him. He's trustworthy. Oswald Chambers used to quote Job 13, 15 all the time. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Oh, that I would get there 
every day in my own walk, in my own faith. Whatever God would choose to do, I will accept. I will worship Him. And this is foreign to the world today, right? And this is why we struggle through the question of evil and pain. Because we're measuring everything that we feel that we are owed. That we feel this is the way things should work out. This is what God should do and what God should not do. It's because we're still questioning whether or not He's actually a righteous and just God. But I'm limited. I'm sinful. My judgment is sinful. It's one way one day and one day one way another day. But God is faithful. He's righteous. He is perfect. So not only can he catch me, he is powerful enough to catch you, to restore you. He is powerful enough to meet your every need. He's ready and willing. And so this is the lens through which Paul saw his life. All through that passage, you see him. He's confident, even though his circumstances are difficult. But he saw the all-powerful, righteous, just, loving, and faithful Father leading him with a purpose, and he decided his faith was going to be in God, not in himself. And so he was confident in God's sovereignty. He was confident in God's character. But he was also confident in God's purposes, the purposes of God for his life. You can be confident this morning. God has a purpose for your life. He created you with a purpose. This confidence in God's power and his character led Paul to be confident in his purpose. If that's who God is, Jesus, take the wheel, right? I've never even heard that song, but I've heard it quoted a few times. <laughs> God, make it happen. If, if you are that God, take my life. I remember several years ago when I was at a crossroads and I stood there. And I was like, God, I, I don't know what to do, but if this is you, if you are who you say you are, take my life. Make it what you would have it be. And he did, and he is. Verse 20 says, Paul says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I told you, Paul's eventually released from this prison, but he died as a martyr later on in Rome. But the point is, Paul is saying, I've released my grip on my life. This death grip that we all have on our life, this fear really that drives us. He says, I, I, I can say God is good and I trust him. And listen, you and I can sing these songs all day long about God's goodness, about his greatness. But until we bet our lives on it, until we put our faith in that, it's just words. And Christian, here's... Here's the challenge this morning. When the rubber hits the road and the difficulty and the struggle and the storms come, which they come for all of us, and the world looks at my life and they see that I am indeed not trusting in God, but I am, I am running to the same things that they are running to, and I don't have peace even in the midst of tears and in pain. We have peace in Christ Jesus, but if I'm not living and walking in that, the world doesn't see the truth that we proclaim to have, have our faith in. Do you trust the plans and purpose Christ has for your life? It's a big question. Or are you struggling? Are you frantic? Or even maybe you're apathetic to what life has and what God wants to do with your life. 
And Jesus said, I came that they may have, might have life and have it to the fullest. We have a good God who loves us, created us with purpose. He loves you. He knows every single thing you're going through. He knows every secret in your heart that you can't even untangle. He knows it, and he loves you. And continually says, come, come closer. There's a wonderful example. Paul was preaching in the book of Acts. He was preaching in Jerusalem. And the Jewish people in Jerusalem had enough of it. And so it says um, in Acts chapter 23, verse 12, it says, When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. They were ready for him to shut it <laughs> with the gospel. And so they had about 40 henchmen go after him. And they said, we're not going to eat or drink till he's dead. Well, what happened? Just a quick overview. A boy overheard the plot. The boy was the son of Paul's sister. The boy had the courage to go to the Roman centurion uh, regarding Paul. The centurion took him seriously, brought him to the tribune. The tribune believed him and prepared 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to take Paul into safety. Coincidence? No. See, those men didn't know what, what God had said to Paul in the very verse prior to that verse. It says in verse 11, The following night the Lord stood by Paul and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. God was working his plan out, and it didn't matter how many henchmen, it didn't matter what the world was going to try and do to Paul. God had a plan for Paul, preserved Paul's life. He was invincible till he at least got to Rome with this message that Christ promised that he would give through him. Listen, when you surrender, surrender your life to Christ every day, when you surrender to, to his lordship, you can have confidence in his protection. You can have confidence in his provision. He is faithful. And he alone is faithful. You're not even faithful. I'm not even faithful to myself. And the danger is, Christian, we start to conflict our plans with the plans of Christ for my life. When my plan is first and foremost to me, my dreams, what I think is most comfortable and what will happen. What happens is, even as a Christian, even as someone who prays, I can, I can start to presume upon God what He's going to do. Because I've already got it worked out, what I want to happen. So I say, God, I know you're going to do this. I Do this, answer the... Listen, our faith is in Him and in His heart. I care less what He's going to do and more who He is. He is the righteous just, loving, faithful Father who knows me. And what happens is when I'm driving my prayer life, when I'm driving what I think God ought to do, then I become disheartened and disappointed in God over and over again because He's not really doing what I think He ought to do. He wants us to have confidence in Him. And the way that you guard your heart from that that we, is by daily bringing my heart and my mind before the Lord. Seeking Him first. Laying every decision at His feet. Every relationship. Every challenge at work. Every fear. Every fork in the road in my life. Coming to Him and staying at His feet. Walking with Him day in and day out. Trust His power. Trust His goodness. Trust His plan for your life. And seek after it first and foremost. 
And the good news is it's not, it's not my uh, effort, right? He's working this out in my life. It's just me submitting to his will. Verse 19, he says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. As believers, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is within us. He is speaking to us. He is guiding us. He is convicting us, challenging us. Tune your ears to hear him today. God, help us to tune our ears. And here's two things that are for sure. If you're struggling today with what God's plan is, what God's will is for your life, here's two things for sure. First is his glory. He says in verse 26, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. We know that this turned out for the glory of God. Paul was like, whatever happens, I want it to bring glory to the Father because that's, that's the will of God that he bring glory to himself through our lives. The prayer that you and I need this morning is that God would be glorified in every way in my life. And then ultimately for my good. His glory, my good. That's God's will for our lives. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And listen, Paul wrote that and he was put to death in Rome. But he knew, he knew that was for the glory of God and ultimately that was for his ultimate good. Paul gauges success in life and failure in terms of God's will and purpose being accomplished in his life. Finally, he had confidence in God's salvation. Several times in this passage, in verse 12, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Verse 16, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul knew from his own life, his own conversion, that Jesus changes everything. Remember, Paul was a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He was violent. He was hateful. He was prideful. And one day on a road between two towns, he met Jesus and his old life passed away and everything became new. He was born again. He had a dramatic change in his heart and in his life and he gave the rest of his life. It did so in such a way that he gave the rest of his life, even unto death, into sharing that gospel, that message with other people. And then he wrote in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Listen, this is the ultimate foundation of our confidence. That word that he uses here and in Romans over and over again literally means in the Greek, God's good news. God's good news. The message of salvation for you and for me. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, he is pursuing you because he is full of love. He is full of grace. That's why we're here this morning. If you think that's not why you're here this morning, that's part of the sovereignty of God. God is moving. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. He's speaking. He's whispering. He's calling you closer. He's saying, I love you. On my own, I'm hopeless. I'm sinful, but God is not. The relationship that we were created with him is broken. 
Yet God still loves. He still pursues. And his plan to restore me to him is the gospel, is this good news. And what is it? Well, he demonstrated his love for you and for me by sending Jesus in a way that he would split time in half, that all of the world would know. All of the world would be talking about it a couple thousand years later and people's lives would still be radically changed. He sent his son to demonstrate on the cross how much he loves you, to make a sacrifice so that his perfect righteousness and justice would be satisfied and so that you and I wouldn't have to work our way to heaven and die thinking, lay on our deathbed thinking, is it enough? Did I score high enough or did I not? No, he says, come as a child. Put your faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. And he calls you and I to confess, repent, say, yes, God, I agree. I'm a sinner. Yes, I agree. I cannot save myself and I, I trust you and your love for me. And I put my faith in that. Listen, the gospel is the, conf is the key to confidence in life. Paul said here in verse 21, For me to live is Christ. The confidence that I have in life is because of Jesus. That I can live life to the fullest. Whatever may come today, tomorrow, I can have joy even in the midst of struggle and pain because I know that I am a child of God. I know that He has redeemed me. He's made me right with Him. Jesus came, lived, and died to break the power of sin over me. Listen, if you knew me, it's been a long time now. If you knew me when I was 24, this is a different guy. It's the key to power in life is Jesus. I'm just here to testify to you. And it's the key to power in death, confidence in death. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's Paul sitting in a prison. He says, you know what? I'm not, I don't know exactly what's coming. I may live. I may die. But either way, I'm confident. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm at peace. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? Gave his son that you and I would not perish but have everlasting life. We don't have to fear the grave. We don't have to fear death. Jesus said there will come a day. There will come a day when all of us will stand before the throne. And we will hear one of two things. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. And what the Bible says is the requirements for that is just that I put my faith not in myself, but in Christ. Or we'll hear depart from me. I never knew you. Some people ask me, do you really think that's a thing? I don't know if God, why would God do that? Listen, if I reject God my whole life and say, thanks but no thanks, what makes me think he is such a good God that guess what? When I die, he's not going to force me to do it then either. He's going to say, you get that was the desire of your heart, then have that. Paul says, I am confident now. This is what Revelation, there's a picture in Scripture of what that day will look like. It's joyful. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. As Charles Spurgeon wrote, 
When men fear death, it is not certain that they are wicked, but it is quite certain that if they have faith, it is in a very weak and sickly condition. Listen, we have eternity sealed in Christ Jesus. God is a good God. Today, won't you put your faith and confidence in him? In closing, just want to ask, where is your, where is your confidence today? What are you betting your life on? Where are you finding your encouragement? First of all, do you have confidence for life and death in Jesus? Have you trusted his provision for your salvation to make my account right with God in a way that I can't ultimately on my own? I got in this other conversation last night with another person and it was like, it felt like we were going around in circles, but they... They were asking about all these political things and Supreme Court and blah, 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 blah. I said, listen, Jesus changes everything. We can talk about those things till we're blue in the face, but without Jesus, nothing changes. We can make statements. We can make signs. But with Jesus, everything changes. What God desires for you this morning is that you would love Him because He loves you. And He alone is worthy of that love. We have to stop trying to get one another to fill the gap that is only meant for God in our hearts and lives because we will only disappoint one another and then we'll hate one another. Settle it with God. That that whole Settle that, and then you live with confidence, and then our relationships can be what God has created them to be. Christian, what encourages you today? What pulls you out of depression? What puts you in it? How do you battle intrusive thoughts? What is stressing you out today? What are you worried about? Hebrews 12.2, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, bring it to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Christ today. Intentionally, persistently, come boldly to the throne of grace. He's calling you this morning. Come, trust, trust him more. And this is really the, this is really the bottom line of this whole passage. It's, it's am I going to live a life that is God-centered? Or am I going to live a life that's me-centered? And I can just tell you, maybe it's just me. But I don't have any confidence in me. Every place that I had put confidence in myself, I failed. But in Christ Jesus, I have everything. And my prayer for you this morning is that you would find everything in Him. It's more than religion. The call this morning is not to religion. It's not to go into church more. All those things are beside the point. It's in responding to that still small voice that whispers to you, that you hear the Spirit of God whispering to you to say, come to me. I love you. God, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the forgiveness of sin. God, thank you that when I was running full speed away from you, you pursued me. You didn't... You didn't treat me like I deserved. (laughs) But God, you pursued me. And this morning, you are pursuing all of us. You're pursuing those of us who've never 
those who have never put their faith in Christ for their salvation. This morning, you are whispering, you are calling again, come, come, trust in me. Trust in my salvation. Those of us who are Christians, who are God, pursuing the things of the world, and maybe the things of the world, and the pressures, and the concerns and cares of the future, and, and the things that are going on in our lives, God, they have a tendency to, to scoot you off of the throne of our hearts and lives. Lord God, this morning, fresh and anew, we say, be glorified in our lives. God, be glorified in my life. Be Lord. God, help me to fix my eyes on you. Help us to walk with our hearts and minds fixed on you, God, and, and work through our lives that we, might, that we might be usable in your hands to, to demonstrate your love and compassion for the world around us. Lord, so many are broken, so many are hurting, and so often all they hear from the church is, is religion. God, may they see Christ. May they see a difference because of you in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.